Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Actions speak louder than words. I imagine that's a phrase that uh, most of us have heard before, and it's a phrase that uh, we, we certainly know to be true. We are suspicious of the person who says one thing but does something else. We much prefer people whose words and their actions align. Their word, we know then, can be counted on. It's easy to trust a person whose words and actions are consistent. As we just heard, Jesus tells a parable about two sons who were asked, or, or rather told, by their father to go and to work in the father's vineyard. Now one, as, as we heard, flatly said he would not, but later he changed his mind and he went and, and did as his father requested. The other very respectfully said, oh, I will go, sir, but he did not actually go. The point of the parable is pretty clearly that actions speak louder than words when it comes to Christian faith and the life of faith also. Doing the will of God is far more important than empty promises. And the second son, as we mentioned, as, and as we see in Jesus' conclusion of that parable, was much like the religious leaders of the Jewish people of Jesus' day. And so that's why Jesus especially wanted the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the chief priests and the elders of the people, to hear this parable that he told. They could talk very correctly about religion. They knew all of God's commandments and his requirements for the, the sacrifices and the festivals and the dietary laws and restrictions. They knew the law of the Old Testament and all its ramifications as well. The trouble was that their knowledge of the will of God often didn't work its way into actually doing the will of God, at least not with a proper motivation as God desired. They were strong on words, but weak on deeds. Jesus knew this, of course, as true God. He knows all things. He knew what was in their hearts and, and the, their motivations and attitudes. And so he confronted them about their hypocrisy. And we see that this is just one instance of, of many times in the Gospel books of the Bible that Jesus spoke out against the hollow, empty piety or, or religious life of those Jewish religious leaders. Jesus warned his followers in, in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And this teaching of Jesus was consistent with all the prophets of the Old Testament. The prophet Micah, for example, reveals the will of God for all people in chapter 6 of his book of prophecy. He says, He, God, has told you, mankind, what is good. What does the Lord require from you except to carry out justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? As the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at Jesus' time they knew the vocabulary of faith, but they so often would not put their faith to work in their lives. They were faithful churchmen, leaders of, of the religious life of God's people. They were consistent in their worship at God's temple as he had instructed them. They were consistent in offering their tithes as God instructed, 
Even as Jesus pointed out, down to giving a tenth of of all of the, the small harvest of herbs that they planted in their garden. And yet Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. From a distance, they were whitewashed, they were painted fresh coats of of whitewash, and they they looked good from a distance, but when you got up close to them, well, then you found out what was really motivating them, and it smelled putrid, just like a tomb with a rotting corpse inside. The truth of the matter was that wishing to be considered pious and, and to be looked up to by the average person, yet they were tyrants of God's people, inflicting harsh judgment upon the people for every small infraction of God's law. And of course, in God's sight, there is no larger or greater sin. That should have been all the more reason for them to examine themselves and to confess in humility their own sinfulness and need for forgiveness. Even with their proper background, schooling, and and friends, and, and circles of associates, they were ultimately frauds in the end. Now all of us at at one time or another in our lives have been like that second son who was strong on words but weak on action. Sinful human nature takes over our lives so easily. At times we have been here in God's house for worship while our thoughts were somewhere else far away from God and his word. There have been times, perhaps many times, where we've gone through the motions of worship, but spiritual sustenance was not received, again, because our hearts at the time were far from what we were doing in worship. And the devil comes along, tempting us to outwardly give God his due, but inwardly and in our private lives to live as we want, not really caring so much about what God wants. The devil tempts us to be courteous to others while hating them, resenting them in our hearts. We may be civil at home, but in spirit we may actually be detached from our family members. When the devil tempts us to be strong on words, uh, on words of faith, but weak on appropriate actions, we then need to remember this parable that Jesus tells. Jesus teaches us today that the outward mask of piety, of of religiousness, is not enough if our heart is far from God. Jesus teaches that love is the fulfillment of God's law. That polite conversation is no substitute for genuine Christian love in word and in deed. Our goal as Christians is to love God in word and deed with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul and strength, and to love our neighbors, to love other people as much as we love ourselves. What about the first son in this parable? He was asked to work in his father's vineyard, but he flatly refused. But later on, he changed his mind and he went and did what his father had told him to do. Now, of of the two responses, the one who said no, but then he actually did it, and the one who said yes, but actually didn't do it, Jesus seems to prefer the first, that even though he said no, he actually did what his father wanted. We've encountered people in our lives, certainly, like this first son as well. And, again, 
there have probably been many times when we have been like this first son ourselves, at first saying no, uh, not doing, and, and saying we won't do what God wants us to do. But then, in the end, we do what we were asked or instructed to do. And such people can seem tough or callous, outwardly hardened, but once in a while they will show a, a spark of generosity and kindness that contradicts that rough exterior. However, as admirable as those sporadic outbursts of love may be, God does not approve of a lifestyle that shows disrespect for God and his will and for other people. God's will is that a person's words and deeds equally show that Jesus is alive and active in the heart of that person. And so in the end, you can be sure that the father in Jesus' parable was just as displeased with the words of the first son as he was with the actions of the second son. And thus we come to what some Bible commentators have called the third son in the parable, or the, the son, the third son who is implied by the parable. This th third son takes the words of obedience spoken by the second son and the action of obedience from the first son. He is the son who pleases the father in both word and deed. And this son, of course, is Jesus, who was telling this parable. He was completely obedient to the will of God the Father throughout his earthly life. In both word and deed, and will and motivation and desire of his heart. As we read in the second reading from Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul speaks about this obedience of Jesus. When he was born in human likeness and his appearance was like that of any other man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' words and his actions were consistent from the beginning of his life to the end. His will was always to do the will of his Father in heaven. And his actions backed up and underscored his words of, of humility and devotion that he spoke. All the way from the beginning of his earthly life, from his conception and his birth from the Virgin Mary, all the way to his death on the cross of Calvary. His work, given to him by God the Father, was to suffer and to die on the cross for us and all people of the world. His work was to bring the forgiveness of sins and eternal life from God to us. And God continues to love even the likes of us sinful people who often show ourselves to be disobedient sons and daughters. In the cross of Jesus, we see the love that God has for us and for all people. By faith in the obedient Son of God, the Holy Spirit enables us to confess our disobedience, to confess our sins, and to turn to Jesus in faith for help to live for him in both word and deed. To live a life not only in proper God-exalting and honoring words, but also in proper God-reflecting deeds as well. We hear God's word preached here in church, or, or we read it at home in personal devotions. And as we do so, the Holy Spirit causes repentance to begin in our hearts. The Word of God calls us to examine our own words in the light of our deeds. 
where our words and deeds have been contradictory to each other or contradictory to God's will, we repent and resolve through the power of the Holy Spirit to make both words and deeds give a single testimony of faith to Jesus our Savior. Jesus alone gives the power to say to our Father in heaven, I will, sir, and then to actually go and do as he wills. To both say and to do the will of God in life pleases God and shows our gratitude for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that we have through faith in Jesus our Savior. When the journey of obedient faith to our Heavenly Father gets rough, His Son provides us with the refreshment and renewed motivation that we need along the way of of that journey of faith. He calls us to remember our baptism, which made us his dearly loved sons and daughters through faith in Jesus. In the water of baptism, God has established a, a covenant relationship with us that he will not break. He is our Father. We are his children. We have been bought with the price of the blood of his Son, Jesus, our Savior, that he shed on the cross. And so we are no longer our own. We belong to him. We are his treasured possession, and he cares for us and guards and protects us. In his word, the Bible, we are instructed on the kind of living that he wants us to have to witness to him day by day and to our Christian faith. His presence and his power are with us, even as we struggle against the sinful nature within ourselves and the temptations around us in the world and from the devil. His holy supper that he gives to us nourishes and supports us. When the pull becomes strong to just throw in the towel and give up on the struggles with our our self-centered, sinful nature and against the temptations that that war against our souls. There in the Lord's Supper, we eat the bread and drink from the cup and receive Jesus' true body and blood. And as we do so, our faith is strengthened, our, our courage is increased, We are renewed in our resolve to speak strong words of commitment to the Savior and to match them with equally strong deeds for the Lord who has loved us so much. Actions speak louder than words. Indeed. But better still are strong words coupled with strong actions, all motivated by God's love for us through Jesus. I invite you to resolve with me today by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts with the help of Jesus our Savior that both our words and our actions will be strong in faith and love for God and for others. Amen.